Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Coffee is for Closers. Uh, today we've got a special guest, uh, Tony Haddad, famous DJ from the Seattle area. Uh, what's the DJ name, Tony? Oh, I've gone through a couple. My last DJ name was Jafar. I would have, I've, I kind of was always expecting just one of the DJ Haddad in the mix. Yeah, yeah, I wish I had my air horn. You know I would have hit it. For sure. Um, so uh, we want to do something a little different on uh, today's episode. And uh, we thought it would be really interesting to sort of like um, contrast and contract the differences between a, a business owner and employee, right? And um, kind of a little exercise that we wanted to do just to check in um, on Sales Sniper and see whether or not like the perception that we have as like upper management was actually um, being felt, and that was the same perception as what it is on the ground floor with our staff. So with that being said, guys, uh, cue the intro, and we'll kick off. If you listen to this podcast, you will make your first million within three years. I'm going to repeat that. You will make a million dollars within three years of the first episode you listen to. We don't want pikers. We're not here to save the manatees. We're here to make podcasts. You really want this. You listen and review. Put that coffee down. You know, it's funny, though. The first episode of this podcast that I heard was about two years ago. Uh So I have one year left to to finish making a million bucks. So this is the year. I'm sure it will happen. The podcast promise. Not financial advice. So, <laughs> so anyway, guys, like, like I mentioned, I think it'd be really cool just to have a look at that and um, see if we are in congruence and see if there is any real disparity between like what we aim to do up at management and what is uh, coming out through to the staff. So with that being said, maybe Tony, do you want to give a, a bit of an intro? Talk to the guys about how long you've been with us, what specifically you do within the company. You know, the guys are obviously going to see your face a little bit more as you're involved in a a bit more of the content. Just tell us a bit about, about you. Yeah, you got it. So I joined Sales Snipers. Uh, I got essentially poached by Matt off of an account that I was on like a little less than two years ago. And I came on to the team and it was real lean back then. It was just like, I think you guys had just finished being fitness sales snipers and we're mm. now transitioning into like more of the high ticket realm. And the team back then was like you and Matt, me, Will Adams, Road, and Dan Van, and Jimmy. And yeah, that was, and like, like that fifteen was guys max. Yeah, and and Joel. <laughs> and so Joel. it's been it's been cool to kind of watch the progression over the years. But I guess your your question of like what I do. So I'm a sales rep for one with the team. I like you said I help with the content. So getting more involved mm. with like helping with closing code stuff and creating content for the community, and then also just a bit of a coaching role with like the newer guys and helping them get started. And things like that as well, and helping with the closing code role plays. Yeah, and you do a, a lot of like one on ones with uh, people that you know come into the closing code, and they want a bit of extra help. You've uh, you've been known to to do some sales coaching for us when uh, we don't have the time, so that's that's awesome. Is sometimes like you forget uh, how long certain people have been here, and they'll hear when there was no one else, just because you've been around for so long. You know, being one of the alphas, it's funny how everyone from back then are all alphas you know there's no like stragglers everyone that came through that mold is you know top of the class then and and still is so it's cool to you see. guys know how to pick them yeah yeah it's it's funny like um 
you did, uh, we were speaking uh, before we actually started recording, you had uh, some questions around hiring, right? So um, you might not have the best perception of that from an employee because things would have changed significantly from when you came on. But um, you wanted to ask me about like some of the stuff that we do around hiring and, and how we look at that. So I'll, I'll let you go there. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm curious about a lot of things in the way that you guys run the business in the sense that like the management team is so diverse in their mm. skill sets and kind of like outlooks and things like that. And you all share the same vision, which I think is necessary when you're running an organization yeah. like this. But the styles in which you guys operate is, is you know, vastly different. So for, for your perspective, I'm curious, like when you're meeting with somebody to bring on as a sales rep, like what is that sort of first impression that you're that you're like really looking for yeah okay so um in terms of sales reps like i can't speak uh too true to that at the moment because we have an entire recruitment department that handles that so i haven't hired or been in like any active recruitment for sales reps for some time now mm. but um i do do all like the hiring process and that for upper level staff you know, C-suite, accountants, all that type of stuff. And usually like when we're meeting with people like that, we'll uh, we'll go out for lunch, you know, have a sit down lunch. There's a couple of uh, uh, metrics that we look at. It's like one, is they going to offer to pay the bill? Um, how they treat the, the waitresses is really important. And I think a lot of the time, how you present yourself at lunch uh, with how enjoyable the conversation is, really gives a good reflection on what someone's like as a, a human. And the other thing is like trying to assess when we're having conversations, the uh, particular language and the way that things go, the way that people go about things and trying to look for like two key distinguishing factors when um, someone is offering something. And is that, are they looking to add value and to help for the sake of like excited about it, wanting to genuinely help um, which becomes very mutually beneficial or does that uh, mutually beneficial relationship come in the same of like, I'll do this for you because it serves me, right? Where we have that distinguishing factor, are they looking to serve for the sake of serving or are they looking to serve themselves because they get something in return? Which in How do you see cases, that in them? How do you see that? Like, is that just through questioning and, and through conversation? Like, are there cues yeah. you're looking for? Well, it's really... um. It's hard to tell because it just comes from having like a detector, mm-hmm. right? There's a, I think like there's a, a level of excitement, um, enthusiasm when you're struck with something that you want to do because it's entertaining as opposed to something that you want to do that's self-serving and you, you carry yourself different. The better you are at, at being in that type of environment, the better you start to notice it. And we don't get it right all the time, but uh, that is something that we're aware of when we look for then obviously from a technical uh, perspective, are they able to carry out that? You know, whereas I think I've talked about a few times when we we hire salespeople, it's uh, we we hire like culture first. You know, are they going to be a good fit? Where do they fit in with the organization? Do we have a need to bring them on? Because we have an entire boot camp process now, so people come in when they want to come to us. We have like an I think it's eight week uh, training program with Sean. Uh, with Marco, with Will, they run and they do a whole bunch of training to make sure skill sets that. Now, depending on availability to put people places, there is, you know, we can or we cannot take them on due to limited space. But the ones that uh, we want but can't take them on because they are good culture fits, we'll keep them there, keep developing that until an opportunity comes up, provided it doesn't 
get in the way of their life, you know, if they get offered another opportunity, then we'll say, take it because, you know, something could pop up tomorrow, but it could be a month. So we, we really sort of look at, uh, is this person a culture fit? And then really through that process, the rate of development that they're having, you know, they could have come in with like no discernible skills, but if they got better quickly, then that's key evident that in the future, they're going to keep getting better at a, a really good rate. So we want those type of people that can develop quickly plus fit the cultural needs. Well, I think every company wants to do that, but I don't think every business owner understands that that's how they should, right? Like, yeah. like I've seen a lot of businesses where people do hire on, you know, how much can you produce? Are you a top performer? And they're not really looking at the, at the culture. Like what was that factor for you that made you decide to do it that way? Um, just because we've seen how, you know, like you, you see companies all the time that start off with really good cultures, they uh, get, get too big and then that culture fails to exist. And therefore they end up selling the company. Someone else takes over and it's just not the same, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, we're looking to having like the set culture and set standards that we've had in the company has allowed our guys to do really good jobs. You know, it's allowed our guys to kill it and build the reputation that we have. For me, the way that I see that long term, the only way that we can continue to do that is if we continue to retain that culture and do those things that we know we're responsible for getting our results. Mm-hmm. So it's our job on the upper management to put in processes and structures in place, which allow scale without the... um the sometimes inevitable de- demise of culture, which we want right. to, I guess, really attenuate and stop from happening. For sure. And like, especially with massive growth. Yeah. Like that's such a culture killer in companies that we've like seen across the board. And that's honestly been like my biggest, not fear, because I know that obviously with, with the leadership team here, like we're in fantastic hands, but it's a thing that's on my mind. Like, I don't want to see this company go down a path of, of losing the culture because that's that's what keeps us here. And that's that's why this company is going to be as big as it will and be as great as it will is is that culture. That's the the skeleton of the whole thing. And like it's funny, Road and I were talking about this the other day. As the growth has happened, like when we kind of think about the early days, it was like not that there were no rules, but like it was like you could just book in an hour chat with Jimmy anytime and get a get coaching from him at a very high level or Marco would just listen to your calls. You just go into close IO and listen to your calls, like do call reviews for you and then text you and be like, Hey, why'd you do this? And, and you would get like such high level help because that's just how it was. And now we have, you know, a hundred reps, like Marco can't go listen to everybody's calls. Jimmy can't do a one-on-one with every person. So how do we maintain that culture? And I think what has been put into place now that everybody's working so hard on like this RTC and having this development like the streamlined development for everybody. I think that was maybe the missing ingredient over the last few months. And now that that's implemented is like, I can see how this is going to skyrocket. Everything. Yeah. Now, now yeah. there's systems in place. Yeah. Like, um, like I, I had a really strong thought and uh, me and Matt discussed this uh, pretty heavily. How do we attract the best people to want to work for us? Cause like for, for probably 16 months, we haven't gone out and actively recruited people. Mm-hmm. We've had people come to us, mm-hmm. you know, particularly for like from semi competitors, competitors, people in other niches. Like, uh, and uh, what what we did was we kind of I kind of sort of sort of like 
uh, Google and stuff. Like you saw Google in the early days, it was the fun, it was the hip head place to work. Everyone wanted to go work for Google, mm. right? The one thing that, that we had was the ability to want have a, a fun environment and be known for developing people quickly so they can make money. And uh, we had a, a key distinction is like, we want this to be known publicly. Mm-hmm. We want the perception to be known that where the guys to go to when you want to have fun and you want to develop quickly and you want someone to get the best out of you in this field, right? Obviously not in other fields, in this field. So because of that, we've made that a pretty consistent theme. You know, we've engineered people speaking about that. We've spoken about that. So that's what gets discussed when we come up in in the circle of recruitment, right? So now uh, because of that and because what we're known for, we've made it known uh, publicly what we do, why we do it, how we do it ethically, how we develop people. So that attracts people that want that. So now we're lucky enough to have built a, a tangible system via perception that people that want that will come to us. Therefore, we're able to recruit really well because we're attracting the right people from the coming in. So it's um it's interesting. I, I don't know if that's what it seemed like on the ground floor, but intention-wise, that's what we've wanted. It definitely has seemed like that. I've spoken to many, many reps and employees and people on this team. And we all are, we all are in, you know, we corroborate in the fact that we've never seen culture like this in any other company that we've, that we've worked at. Curious, like your journey through this, you know, obviously mistakes are made in anything, a lot of them behind the scenes, and we never even know about them because you, you know, it's, you guys are quick and things get fixed and stuff like that. But do you have any regrets in how we've, you've built the company up to this point? Any regrets? Uh, no, no. Like even when like mistakes are made, I don't really see them as regrets. We just kind of like sort of lessons like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. I can see, see where there. How did we get to the point where we made this mistake? Like what were the decisions that we made? What were the things that we missed? What were the things that persuaded us to go down this path uh, so that we can sort of look at that and be like, all right, well, they are now like, indicators in the future is like let's assess this before making that decision mm-hmm. you know so i don't I, regrets no i don't think so because from this perspective like from the perspective of a, of a rep or an employee like it doesn't seem like anything bad has ever happened like it, it seems like such been. a which is good right <laughs> but it, it seems like good. it's been such a smooth ride but obviously like using logic like we know that that can't be possible like things happen mistakes happen but i'm just so impressed with how smooth of a ride it's at least seemed like from this perspective over the, over the time like do you have a, a process that you follow when say a mistake is made or a lesson needs to be learned that you that you uh, realize to like implement mm, no right because uh if a mistake is being made twice then we've ultimately failed Right. Um, we, we don't want to make continuously make the same mistakes. You know, they, they might happen, but it could be because someone else made them without the understanding and process in place. But in terms of like building a process, we, we build processes around to ensure that things don't happen again. But being able to predict uh, potential problems is something that we spend a lot of time doing and putting things in place. So there's not really... Problem? You, whenever you make a decision, if we go on to a new venture, uh, you kind of go through a process of looking at it like, 
Uh, well, at least for me anyway, like I, I <laughs> it's my job. It's Matt's job to take risks. It's my job to ensure they're safe to happen. That's kind of how we work that partnership, right? So like I got to be the negative one and pull out any potential problems and say, okay, we need to be aware of this. If <laughs> you got to be the stern dad. This pathway, yeah, it's like this could happen. Are we okay with that? Yes, no. Answer's yes. All right, let's do it. Just be aware that this could be a potential outcome. It's uh, like I, I go through the mindset as like, okay, if I was the competition, what would I do? Or like, what could I do to prevent that from happening? What could I do to sabotage that? You know, that's that's one way. The other way is like, what are the outcomes if we did this wrong? Where could we do this wrong? Who would that impact? How would it impact them? Then um, looking at that and saying, okay, well, these are the five risk factors that might come with this decision. You know, these are the 10 benefits. Let's, um, what can we put in place to mitigate that if this was to occur? Then we somewhat have a plan. Obviously, you don't catch all of those, you know, that's why the mistakes is like, I never even thought of that. At that stage, you just, you solve the problem when it occurs. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You, you bring up that like dynamic of interplay between you and Matt, like he's, ideas, ideas, and then your logic of, is that really the best course of action, which is like, you definitely need both in in any sort of venture. And now with, you know, having, I mean, Marco's been there since the beginning and now we have Will and you got, you guys are all sort of steering the ship together in a sense. Like, let's say that you all have a differing opinion on something. First of all, does that happen often? And two, like if if it does, like how do you guys sort of sort that out to come to the to like yeah okay conclusion? Yeah, me and Matt have differing opinions all the time, all the time. There's uh, plenty of times that I've been wrong. There's plenty of times that he's been wrong. Uh, usually, if I think he's wrong, I tell him. Same as Will, uh, same as Marco. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys. Uh, don't usually like be like, no, you can't do this. Like it's stupid for these reasons. I usually do. I'm like, that's dumb. This is why. <laughs> but uh, a lot of the time I, I'm okay with making mistakes and I'm okay with making the wrong decisions. So if I disagree with, with Matt on something um, in the same vein, he'll, he'll say the same thing to me is I'll be like, I think you're wrong, but um, I back you to do it anyway. So have a crack. I got me. Yeah. That way, there's still support there. You make it known. It's like, I think you're wrong. What do I need to do to help you? Doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, worst case, yeah, okay, makes a bad decision. Depending on the level of risk, I'm talking like low risk things. Uh, Worst case, we lose a bit of time. Maybe we lose a little bit of money. But at the end of the day, if we get that wrong, sometimes you have to touch the stove to realize it's hot. And that's okay. And I'm okay with making those mistakes knowing that we have risks, knowing that there's a difference of opinion and still supporting them anyway, because they could be right and I could be wrong, you know? And I think that's really important and that works both ways. If the risk factors are way too high, then at any given stage, any of us put our foot down and say, no, you're absolutely wrong. I will not let this happen. And if that conversation happens, we don't move forward. So it's, it's very supportive and to a point. That makes sense. And that's what I really appreciate about this company too, is like you, you can be stern with people, yeah. but there's always that underlying element of, yeah, I'm stern because we care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stern yeah. Because it's for the, for the betterment of this company and nobody, 
comes in with a big ego and tries to be right. And if, if you do, you go to uh, <laughs> Hinkson jail, which I know he hates the, the terminology, but that's kind of what it is. Right. Yeah. Let's, um, let's, uh, let's jump back in. Cause we had a, a couple of points and we went so far off track. <laughs> yeah. Also it was exciting. I told you this would happen. We spoke about the hiring career pro- progression. Um, give me like your thoughts on, on that, what your interpretation is. And maybe I can add a little two senses to be like behind the scenes. This is why this has happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So tell me about your pro- career progression to date. And then um, maybe a little bit about your ambitions and where you want to get to and what that looks like. Yeah, maybe sure we can is. sort that out and come with yeah, let's, let's plan here out. today. Yeah, where, where am I going? Yeah. <laughs> um, my progression was like, you know, it's funny. I didn't really have in terms, I didn't have like the standard progression that a sales sniper rep goes through now. Like yeah. now, you know, we have a system. We have Charlie's, Bravo's, Alpha's, you you go through a boot camp, like there's a standardized process, but before it was, like I said, it was the wild west. Like it's we just showed up and they, were, and they were like, Hey, you're going to sell for Ryan Serhant. And I was like, okay, cool. And then <laughs> you just went in there and sink or swim. And um, like, I started off doing sales calls because I had some sales experience before this. And uh, I'm, I'm obviously so thankful for like everything I've learned through this time, but there's a part of me that wishes that I learned the hard way like wishes I went through some sort of progression, like, Hey, you got to start as a DM setter for six months. Started too early. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you got to pay your dues and learn that skill. And then you go to triaging and then you learn that skill and then you can do sales calls. And like, I definitely paid my dues. I locked myself in my room for basically a year before a sales sniper. And I just like studied sales because I wanted to get really good at it. So like, not saying that I didn't pay any dues, but there's a part of me that wishes that I went through the progression that like a rep goes through now. Because you were above average when you came to us. Oh, stop it. <laughs> above slightly. <laughs> I'm not that cool. In terms of progression now, like it's 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 not so much about it is a bit about sales skills. And that's where, like, you know, you ne- you never stop coaching. It's not a thing that you did in the past. It's a thing that you continue to yeah. do. You never stop learning. So like every year I spend more money on coaching, on sales coaching or training or whatever. And most of it either goes to Jeremy or <laughs> or somebody in sales snipers. But, um, now like with the RTC and everything, like I like that there's a defined path because before it was like, who do you want to get help from? Cool. Make it like, make it happen, cut a deal Mm -hmm. or something. And, and it's nice, but to have like a clear path like that is it's better for continuity within the company. And I, I also know where I'm headed now. Now that's in terms of sales progression, as far as career development within the company, what I, and I know you and I have had chats about this before, but I want to be as heavily involved with helping new reps as much as possible and just stepping into a role of leadership where it's very focused on development of of new people. And I really enjoy helping people with mindset stuff because I've struggled Mm -hmm. a lot with mindset things in the past and come up with ways to overcome them for me. And I've noticed, you know, this isn't something I've shared with anybody. This is my first time saying it in public, really, that I enjoy working on mindset stuff, but I've had quite a few people reach out to me in private, won't name names, but like saying, Hey, I'm struggling with this thing. And it's usually a mindset thing. And they yep. ask me, they ask me about, it and they're like, I came to you specifically. And I, I never really asked why, but cause you know, that's not the reason why they're there, but it's happened a lot. And so I think there's a bit of a calling for me and my, on my side to actually help people with, with that side of things. So that's where I see myself moving with this company and just being as involved as I can with 
with like that progression of other reps and mm-hmm. stepping into a leadership role. My my word of the year is leadership. Like that's what I've coined 2022 as is okay. how, being how do the I, best leader that I can. How do you define the team? Sorry, how do you define leadership? To me, leadership is like in a, in a, in another word, just selflessness. So that's again, a thing that I've, I guess, struggled with in the past is like selfish leadership where, you know, you're chasing a title or you're chasing um, clout or, or, uh, you know, some sort of image and things like that. And I've had that in, you know, I've started businesses here in Seattle and, and that's kind of what I was chasing and that doesn't lead you very far. And so I don't know what that came from or why that was ingrained to me is something that I, that I wanted, but um, it's been sort of an active journey on my part to disregard that, that part of me, or at least acknowledge that it exists and be thankful for what it's given me, but that like, that doesn't serve me anymore. So now it's moving into being a selfless leader and actually being able to help the people that, that want to progress too, and not really caring about what happens with me. Like, you know, don't toss me to the wayside, obviously got to make sure your pitcher is full so you can fill up other people's cups, but it's about creating a culture within an organization. That's how I see leadership is like maintaining the culture that you want to keep and making sure that everybody has the like support that they actually need to be their best version of themselves. Cause nobody Rhodes said a really cool quote. I don't know where he got it, but people don't, you know, people don't leave companies. They leave leaders. It's absolutely true. Yeah. I've never really put a definition on leadership. I don't think it's something that you can define. Me neither. I pulled that out of my ass just now so I could have something to say. <laughs> I um <laughs> I I I don't think leadership is a definition. I think it's action, right? And I think like above all else, I mean, without going into sub-definitions and things, I think there's one job of a leader, right? And that's to d- develop other leaders. That mm-hmm. first and foremost is, in my opinion the main responsibility of anyone in leadership is to create other leaders. You create other leaders, everything's happy days. That's how you expand. That's how you grow. Like I said the other day, the only way for an organization to grow, at least with a people-first approach, Mm -hmm. is um, by ensuring that the individuals and the leadership within that uh, grow themselves because you can a company can only grow when the individuals inside it grow. That's my opinion. But you said something a minute before, like you want to move in. Uh, you see yourself doing, helping people with mindset and being a leader there. I'll, I'll just ask you this question. and The uh, the viewers can have a first-hand insight to how we help with this. Is um, All right, with that being said, with everything that we have going on here, like how do you think that you could fit that role into our organization and make it happen? So like if I said today, if I made you, forge your own career path, major design your own role, where, keeping in mind, your main thing there that's going to keep you fulfilled is the delegation of others, meaning creating leaders or helping people with mindset. If I had to make you create a role around that within our organization, how would you do it? It's a great question. And that leads into leadership because a leader forges their own path, right? They don't wait for other people to give them the path. So I mean, within that, it's so a, a part of this is something I've, I've started recently, which was doing like little 15 minute meet the team meetings because I, yeah. I realized like the team is growing so fast that there's people I don't know. Yeah. And 
again, like massive growth being a culture killer in a company, like the only way to combat that is obviously having systems for culture, but two, getting to know the people you work with and actually understanding them on a, on a deeper level. And mm. my, my thought process was how can I help other people if I have no idea who they are? I agree. If I have no idea, uh-huh. if I have no idea what they want. So I created a Calendly link for 15 minutes and I encouraged everybody to book in a time with me if we haven't chatted before. Obviously, I only allowed certain times on my calendar to be booked. So I didn't get just a, uh, an absolute uh, cluster Barrage, yeah. of 15 minute calls. And then I don't take any sales calls and I make no money. I put that there for the reason of getting to know the team hmm. and with like with no other agenda other than like, who are you and, and what, what are your goals? And like, is there anything I can help you with? Like, maybe there isn't, maybe there is, but I want to get to know who you are. And if something does ever come up in the future, like, now we at least have that first initial connection and you don't have to feel afraid to reach out. Yeah. Because I feel like that's why people don't reach out is like, oh, I don't know this person or is this a weird thing to do? Like I ended all of those calls with like, if you ever need anything at all, I don't care what it is. Just shoot me a Slack message. Yeah. And- it's funny you say that. We like, we ran into a problem when we really didn't have the systems there, but we started to grow really quickly because we took on a whole bunch of accounts. When you take on a whole bunch of accounts, you have to take on a whole bunch of sales reps. And uh, I remember we're in one meeting one day, you know, there was a conversation, X person isn't performing well. I was just sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, who the is that? And then like, in that moment, I was just like, that's a problem. Not that uh, this person's not doing well. You He's didn't like, know their name. I don't know who that is. Right. So assess that. We put a process in place. Every single person that comes into this company whether they're a tech staff, whether they're a VA, whether they're a sales rep, there's a part of the company onboarding. Um, and I don't have the time to do this, but it's important that every single person has a one-on-one with me, mm-hmm. right? Whether they're with us for a day or whether with, with us for six months, they go through all the cultural stuff beforehand, all the videos. Based off the fact that I think it's a disservice to our staff from the point that you just made, if one, the business owner doesn't know who they are. Like that's not the company I want to be involved with. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to a retreat that we put on. I don't want to go to a meeting and have someone there and it be my first time meeting them and say, oh, it's lovely to meet you. I've been here for six months. Like to me, that's a problem that doesn't embody what we do here. Mm-hmm. So we immediately solved that. But the other thing was that conversation is purely around getting to know that person. And it's funny because uh, we had one sales rep who had this hobby. Right. It was a, a very specific hobby. It was only because we were talking about a bit of work life balance. You know, I'm, how so curious. I'm so curious what this specific hobby is. Oh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Right? Underwater basket weaving? No, I think it was like batten twirling. No. But <laughs> anyway, we had, um, and uh, the perspective, like the, it changed because of me. It's like if we get a client that sells that service, we would never connect those dots, you know, and that that's happened before where we've had guys that are like heavily involved in sort of finance stuff. Like he's an ex broker, you know, ran a trading floor, was the CEO of a brokerage. We had a, a trading platform. It's like, that's the sales guy for you. He can sell that with conviction provided the product is good. That's his wheelhouse. He understands the lingo and making those connections with people where they have um, a subset of skills that's irrelevant to sales, but putting them on the right account. If an opportunity pops up for something very specific, 
We've never had that conversation. My thought process would never go, that's the perfect guy. They would never get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And they would sell it better than someone who's better at sales than them for the level of understanding and conviction that they have in that very specific product. Mm-hmm. So it's it's funny, like you, you take the time to know your people. It comes back to you tenfold. When you when you invest in people, they pay dividends every time. Absolutely. I wish mm-hmm. I had the little bomb button that Brad Lee has because that's a that's a bomb I'd give you. Well, yeah, I think Matt's uh, going on Brad's podcast 10, 10 days from now, roughly. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, be exciting. He's a, he's a fun guy to have dinner with. So um, <laughs> one of the other points, uh, and we've, we've been going for a while, so we won't uh, go for too long, is we wanted to look at like uh, the mindset going into calls from uh, a sales rep's perspective uh, compared to like what I want and what I expect the mindset going into calls and see how close we are to uh, each other's ideas. That'd be okay. interesting. So why don't you start with like, the mindset that you take going into a call? Well, the mindset going into a call, I mean, there's, here's the thing. I don't think there's a right or, I mean, there's some wrong answers, but there's no definitive right answer because I've seen success uh, for like other people be successful with different mindsets. Yep. Um, for instance, I've seen a rep, there was one rep at the uh, retreat who absolutely crushed it, who before each sales call, I watched him like look at the screen before the person came on and was like, you're today. You're, you're, you're paying today. <laughs> You're buying. Today. Who is that? I, mean, I gotta know. It was, it was Patrick, and you know yeah, what? Was, what it. He yeah. sold eight hundred thousand dollars in a day. Yeah, the contract value, like that's that's absurd. So, like that's one incredible mindset for that type of person. Now, does that mindset work for everybody? No, but it worked. It worked for for Patrick. The mindset that obviously Jeremy preaches, and I I think I have the most success with personally is coming into it from complete neutrality like zero expectation. Yes. Do we want to, to close a deal? Of course, because I got bills to pay and I got, you know, I want to make money. However, it's not about me. It's not about commission checks. It's about that person. And like, are we, are we going in to see if there's actually a sale to be made as Jeremy would say, like, can, can I actually help somebody solve a problem? And if they have a problem that we can solve, cool, then we'll stop at nothing. We'll, we'll throw the kitchen sink in terms of skill set and, and tools that we have in order to get them to like get out of their own way so that they can make that change. Cause a lot of what we sell is, you know, coaching and, and, and helping people with their businesses or whether it's getting leads for their business, something that's going to help them in some way. We don't sell crap. So we have to be able to establish if that's something that's actually going to help them in the first place. So that's where I try to come at it is just complete neutrality, no expectations. If I make zero sales this week, that could very well be because everybody I spoke to, I couldn't help them. Now, does that happen often? No, but like generally, if they get to a sales call, we can. So it doesn't happen very often. But like going into that, I've found is helpful because people can smell that commission breath right off the bat if you're getting in there. Oh, unless yeah. you're very, unless you're very skilled, like like Patrick, and people don't sense that, and you can still come into it with like that buy or die attitude. But that's what I've seen success with, and that's what I've coached like. Uh, the people that have trained with me, like I try to instill that mindset in them. But I'm curious how you think people should go into calls and their mindsets. Yeah, it's uh, two things. Like for me, this is like if you don't make the sale at the end of the day and you can tick those two boxes, I'm happy. I don't, I don't care if you lost the dollar value of what the lead is worth, and I assure that the business owner we're working for wouldn't either, because if they they did, then we wouldn't be on the same page and it wouldn't be a long lasting relationship. That's, that's one, as you mentioned, um, 
just going in and, and making sure that it's the right thing for the buyer. You know, is there a sale to be made? Does it benefit this person to actually take this product? If the answer is yes, good, we should pitch them. If the answer is no, it's like, don't waste their time. You're doing the wrong thing. And the second one is that if that first box is ticked, uh, did I represent myself and the company well? Mm. You know, have I done everything? Have I done everything possible to help this person in the most ethical way? And if the business owner were to listen to this call, would they be impressed with the way I carried myself? If we tick those two things and we don't get the result, then I'm happy because we've done the right thing and we've done everything we possibly could. Mm-hmm. And it's that simple. So love it. It's short, sweet, to the point. Uh, before yeah. we wrap things up, though, James, I have one one question that I think was is kind of burning. Okay, I think a lot of people want to know if you're if you're okay with doing one more. So this this question is actually like it's it's kind of deep, but in a little esoteric, but let's, let's say like you're at the office, right. And you're, it's late nighttime. Let's say everybody's left. Matt's gone. Marco's gone. Luke's gone. Dan's gone. It's just you. And you, there's something on a really tall shelf. How do you, how do you get it? What do you, did you have like a stool with your name on it or? No, it's what just, happened? A, uh, I, I'm pretty good at climbing. Oh, sweet. Like yeah. a wallaby. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. More like possums. I don't know if you have possums. We we have we possums. Got, yeah, yeah, we got possums. Yeah. So um yeah, it's it's you stand on a chair. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I uh I call uh admin and say, Hey, you this call, is you a- call Ben. <laughs> You're like get your get no, your no. nine foot ass over here, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We we got a ladder. So we're, we're pretty cool. You got a special James ladder. That's awesome. Yeah, you can that- thank Road for that question. He was very curious. <laughs> Thanks, Rod. But um, at the end of the day, like I've never hit my head on anything. I probably never will. That's a big win. It's, it's, it's a good win. What about a dog door? You a doggy dog? A dog door? Yeah. Nah, we do, we don't want animals getting into the office and messing it up during out of office hours. Like we got we got snacks, we got protein bars, we got mm. nuts, a whole bunch of things. You know, we don't want to attract any wild animals. So uh, off the cards, doggy probably dog. smart. I want bears. <laughs> Getting in. <laughs> but yeah, um, actually, I'll, I'll give you one last question for you. Like, from your perspective, what do you think that like we can do to improve? Like, if we were to make your lives easier, if there was one thing, because like I, I've been in companies before where I wasn't at the top, and there's always those conversations that you happen with the staff around you, be like, ah, oh, they need to change this. This is this is stupid. What is it that we can improve that, that we don't notice because we're no longer on that, that ground floor and have a completely different perception? Like, what, what can we do to improve? I don't know how much time we have left on this podcast. You can write <laughs> a letter. I'll try to give you the abridged version. Maybe I'll just have my assistant send an email. Honestly, I, I don't have an answer for you. I think the, the one thing that I would have liked to have seen has already been put into place over the last week, and that was RTC. That was yeah. really my only... And it wasn't even like a, like I was dying to have it, but it was like a thing that would be nice. Cause you and I have talked about it before, like to have sort of trainings based on people's, you know, level. Yeah. We're also making some more changes there as well. Cool. Yeah. Um, Cause like the company trainings that we do, like we have alphas that are closing, you know, uh, you know, like they're focused on closing and we have people doing DM setting. And like, if we focus on one of those things and one group is left out and both are integral to the organization but yeah. it might not be the most effective use of their time to learn something that isn't worth doing. And so that was the only 
negative thing that I saw going on, but now with like this structured development path for everybody, like that's really the only thing that that yeah. was an issue and that's been solved. But tell you what, I will keep my eyes peeled and you'll definitely be hearing from me when, yeah. <laughs> when shit pops up. I'll go into that for like maybe two minutes before we, we finish up. I, I kind of look at that as like the restaurant complex, right? So you, you all of a sudden, we keep that going where it stops being super beneficial for certain people to go there because they're either at much higher level than what's being presented or they're at a much lower level that's what's being presented. Therefore, there's no benefit. The benefit only fits into the guys within this range. And all of a sudden, the guys that are up here and the guys that are down here stop attending. Attendance goes down. When attendance starts to go down, people notice like, oh, attendance, because these are not mandatory. They're optional. As soon as attendance starts going, it's like, oh, there's less people here. I guess it's okay not to come. Next person guess it's okay not to get done. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're right from a human psychology point of view, you're walking past a bunch of restaurants. They all smell good. You're hungry. You see 10 people lining up to this one place or this one place is packed. The restaurant next to there's only one person sitting in there. Which one do you choose? You always choose the packed one. You know it's better. You know it's good. There might not be any difference in that, but perception changes. We all make decisions based off our perception, right? So when that happens, people start leaving something. It starts snowballing the effect and people stop going. Mm -hmm. So now we've noticed that like some of the top guys aren't as uh, punctual to some of those optional meetings because there isn't as much benefit. If we can change that, get them super punctual, then all of a sudden, more people are turning up with far more attention. That development cycle picks up and goes quicker. They start pushing more value out. Other people like you start recognizing and going, I want to help these. I've noticed these people have this program. We get this giant self-licking ice cream where people are now starting to help because there's more people presenting more problems, which means that we can provide more solutions. So we've absolutely recognized that and are putting in things in place. There's just sometimes when we've got so much going on, it's like, all right, where does the priority lie? When can we action this? How many hours? What does it take? Who do we need to hire? What software do we need to put in place? Uh, and what time frame can that happen in and in which order? So stuff like that does get thought of. Uh, we do plan for it. It's just, you know, you might have bring that up six months ago and it was only possible to implement today. So for a insight. But anyway, guys. Uh, thank you for coming. If you stuck through to the end and enjoyed those very long, interesting, hopefully, uh, rants, then I uh, thank you. And uh, you can hit the subscribe button. That would be majorly appreciated. All the links will be wherever they are in the system. If you want to follow us, jump into the Closing Code Facebook group, potentially even sign up. It's 50 Aussie dollars a week to get some group coaching with uh, Tony and others presenting role plays in which you can work on your skills and get direct feedback from someone who has absolutely crushed in the field before. So thank you guys for listening. Tony, anything you'd like to say before we head off? So I want to say thank you, James, for the time. This was great. Thank you for your insight. Hopefully people get a lot of value out of this. I'm sure they will if they actually pay attention. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only.